Hello everyone, I'm Cullen Kelly, and I wanna welcome you to Masters of Color, brought to you by lowpost.com and ravengrade.com. Now, many of us are probably already familiar with Low Post and their excellent library of post-production courses, but if you haven't checked out Ravengrade yet, I definitely encourage you to do so. Some of our industry's top colorists have gotten together to create a plugin with a diverse library of scene-referred looks that you can use to craft world-class images. My guest today is Ian Vertovic, supervising colorist and co-founder at Lightiron. Ian has an incredible body of color grading work that includes films like Ender's Game, The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, and Gone Girl. His knowledge and his attention to detail are second to none, and I had an absolute blast learning more about his process and his philosophy. With the recent move to remote work, streaming solutions have become a vital part of the colorist's workflow. This episode is sponsored by Pixelview.io, an affordable streaming solution that just works. With a fixed monthly subscription, you can stream as much as you want, and with built-in video chat, collaboration with your remote clients has never been easier. You can use promo code MASTER to get a 15% discount on a hardware encoder at Pixelview.io. And now, without further ado, let's get into my conversation with Ian Vertovic. Hey, Colin, how's it going? What's going on, man? How are you? Good, I'm good. Well, man, I'm, I'm so excited we're getting the chance to uh, speak today, and uh, I'm just pumped to spend an hour chatting with you and, and learning from you and, and all of your extensive experience. Oh, thank you. <laughs> so you've got like a completely stacked resume, Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, Gone Girl, Allied, Ender's Game. The Social Network, a bunch of awesome TV, uh, The Shy, The OA, Manhunt, that movie Pig that's about to come out that looks so cool. Um, you, you've, you've got such an awesome body of work. And I mean, if I can get right into it, man, I guess my first question when I look at all those credits and like all the genres and formats, and when I also think about the creatives that you're working with on all those, you're somehow managing to navigate a lot of different territory like what what's your approach how do you tune yourself to your client's creative vision um i think like my main approach at all times is is um i i it's almost like i kind of think often of almost like a like a cooking analogy you know uh, you know thinking think of yourself as a chef and you're being delivered these amazing ingredients, you know what I mean? And so like, as the chef, your job is to like figure out a recipe that brings what's amazing in that ingredient to the surface, you know? So like cooking a steak or like a cut of sushi or something like that. And so like the last thing you want to do is over season or overcook, you know? And so it's, it's always about trying to find like, what is, What's the most honest, truest thing about the cinematography? About the cinematography, like what is a cinematographer going for? What is a director going for? What's in that scene, and then just bringing out what's naturally there to the surface, rather than trying to, you know, paint on top of it with kind of your own your own style or your own sensibility. So it's always and, and always trying to figure out a way to not have a, a personal style, but just. Do, do the thing and, and be fluid to like find the look that works for that film. Oh, I love that, man. And, and uh, you know, as we already observed, I, I feel like the, 
many of us have that goal, uh, but you've, you, your career really reflects a, a ton of just creative success. Like it's cool that you've done big stuff with great filmmakers and you've had such a, a successful career on other terms, but just creatively, like that's a, that's a, a big challenge and you've managed to like navigate it really well. It seems like over the years. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so I guess my, my other question about that process of, you know, like, you know, uniting uh, all those ingredients and making them play well together. And as you said, like taking what's best of each of them and using it to, uh, you know, like create a single coherent, delicious dish. Mm -hmm. Is there anything that makes that like easier or more difficult from your perspective in terms of what the material you're being given is or what the direction that is uh, being brought to you? Yeah, I think, you know, oftentimes um, something that I've found, I've discovered over, over the years is sometimes your best stuff comes when you are in like almost a big disagreement with the, the creative direction, you know? So it's like, sometimes like, um, you know, I'll, I'll see a film and I'll be like, oh, it needs to be dark and, you know, and like cool and, you know, edgy and like, we just got to print it down. And then the director's like, no, it has to be happy, you know, you know, and then, and then like the DP might be in a, a third direction, you know? And I think like, I think as humans, we're very conflict uh, averse, you know, we want to try to avoid and we want to make other people happy and we want to do these things. But I think what I found in my career is that like, there's something interesting there. If I see, if we're all looking at the same material and I'm like, Oh, this should be, you know, cool and dark and, you know, and, and or whatever. And then, and the director's like, no, I want it to be this, or I'm seeing it and it needs to be this. Like there's some, there's some truth there for each of us. Like we're just, we're just, we're bringing our life, you know, to, you know, to it and we're seeing it and we're responding in a, in a way and they're doing it, you know, with a different background and a different, you know, uh, set of beliefs and, you know, they've seen different movies and, 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 and they're coming in this other direction. And so there's, there's some truth there. And like, if we can kind of do the hard work and find a version that appeases all of those instincts, you know, if we can find like some sort of a third thing that none of us were, were thinking about, but like, you know, I, maybe I like the way the blacks are soft and it has like a very, like there's contrast, but the blacks are soft, but then, you know, maybe a direct, you know, a director's responding to a specific skin tone that they believe is like the optimum. And then the, a DP is, is more concerned about having good contrast and ratios and having motivated directional light, you know, I mean, if we can find a, a version that appeases all of those, then that's the best version that any one of us would have done on our own. And that's really where like the collective, the collective art form like becomes better and it actually becomes like a, a superior version of, of storytelling. And so like, and so I think that's the, I think finding the opportunity in conflict to create something new and to create something truly original. That's like the fun, that's some of the fun stuff. And that's some of the, some of my best work has been, has been kind of through these disagreements, but it, it socially it's, it's a challenge because you have to kind of navigate this awkwardness of like, okay, so why do you want it like that? And I don't, or, you know, and, 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 and if you can have that kind of, 
if you can reach that level in your relationship with the director and the DP, if you can reach that level of like trust, you know, then you can work through those disagreements in a better way. And I think that's like a real challenge. And that's what I'm always trying to achieve is like, is really focusing more on the relationship so that we have that trust so that when we disagree, we're not compromising, we're, we're, we're mixing our ideas in a way that produces actually better work. What a powerful idea. It, it, it really sounds like in this hypothetical scenario where Ian has this idea and uh, director has that idea and maybe DP has a third idea, rather than you trying to uh, sort of arbitrate that and be like, well, he's on the right track. I've got the definite right idea and that's just not going to fly. Yeah, yeah, more yeah. like trying to go like, no, well, tell me more. Tell me specifically what you like about that thing and try to find a way to get the best of each of those maybe. Yeah, and, and, and how I do that, um, I, which I guess is the really important part, or how I try to do that, I don't know if I'm successful, how I try to do that is I get, especially um, directors, because maybe directors have like a very, you know, with a cinematographer, you can speak very much in this like photo, you have this kind of photographic language that, that you can like, you can talk about stops or you can talk about whatever, you know. Um, but with a director, maybe they don't have that kind of image crafting background. Maybe they come from writing or they come from producing or they come from acting or whatever. So um, what I try to do is, is I try to um, encourage directors um, to, and sometimes DPs, but I, I try to encourage um, the use of like what I call wine tasting terms, you know, because in, instead of being like, let's do minus three points of green in the shadows, but plus two points of orange. And like, what is that? What is a point? Like, it's kind of meaningless, right? Because it's like a point of what? And the point of in what color space? And a point of, you know, is this an HDR point or a, a DCI point? You know what I mean? Like, what? Yeah or a skosh or whatever, you know, I'm just like, just use wine tasting terms. Just be like, I want it to feel safe in this space, or I want it to feel um, magical or, you know, you know, these like wine tasting terms that, that just kind of are evocative, but I, I feel like they're very helpful because they, they like if a director says less green, I don't exactly know what they mean. You know, like I can be like less green, but that might just mean more pink. It might mean, it might mean more blue, you know, like I, like, so like less green is not a really helpful direction, but if you're just like, oh, I want this space to feel, you know, have, have like a straw colored yellow or, or, you know what I mean? Like, like those wine tasting terms, as silly as they sound, they really get, I think they get you closer into like what they're emotionally responding to, which is like the whole, which is like the whole point, you know, that is so I'm, I'm stealing that from you. That's fantastic. I mean, like it, it's funny, man, because I, I feel like or if you, the further back I rewind into looking at my craft, the less and less like take, take, uh, you know, like any, uh, younger colorist in their craft, I feel like, the, the less time we've been at something, probably the less comfort there would be with like, Hey, you know what? I'm, I'm not going to give you any tangibles. I'm just going to give you feelings and wine tasting terms. Like you say, mm -hmm. I feel like that's something that that requires like maturity and experience as an artist to not only be open to, but actually like prefer and recognize the power of speaking in a more abstract, like, like sense of the way something feels and knowing like, oh yeah, I know how to produce feelings with like, 
I'm going to put my gamma up, you know, 0.15 or whatever the heck yeah. it is. Like it's that, that takes more confidence and experience to be able to work in that way. But it seems so powerful once you're able to make that transition, you know? Yeah. But when I was starting out, um, I felt the opposite way, you know, like someone would say, oh, we want this sunset to feel more magical. I was like, magical, like it, what's magical is magical. Is that purpose. the lift of the gain knob? Yeah, exactly. I'm like, which, there's no magical button, you know, Yeah, dude, you know, and like, that was my thought process, but like magical is a weird word, but like, it's so helpful because you're just like, Oh, so you're not necessarily connected to reality. You're not necessarily trying to make it feel like a photo real natural vibe, you know? So it's like, that means I can open up my possibilities for something that's maybe a less photographic and maybe more painterly, you know? So it's yeah. like, instead of trying to go, you know, with like an actual sunset sunset, I can go more like in the Mon Monet kind of palette, you know? And so like, that's so helpful. And it's actually like, yeah, there's no magical button, but that's what our jobs are. Yeah. And I think as uh, you're, uh, you know, sharing with us, I, I really do feel like when we can develop the like maturity of craft and, and confidence to embrace that, that's where the fun and the power of it is, is to be like, yeah, what is my take on magical or, or whatever creative direction you're being given. Um, that's so cool, man. You, you, you touched on, you know, like we're talking now about kind of early days and getting your start. And I'd love to know if we go back to like, you know, Ian, when he began grading first 12 months, first 24 months, whatever, what was he like nailing, like intuitively getting really right from your perspective now? And what was he really overlooking or missing the mark on? I started with After Effects, like, you know, I started in still photography, learning photochemical darkroom stuff. And then I evolved from that into Photoshop and then from that into After Effects and then from that into uh, color correction. So, so I think absolutely the worst thing that I was when I first started is fo just focusing on the rela relationships and just focusing on the client and where they were. Because I think I was so, I was so focused on thinking that I knew what was best and thinking that I had really good taste and thinking that I knew how to run the, the computer. And so thinking that I knew what all the buttons did. And so like, that was my focus was like, what are the, what, you know, like I need to learn what these buttons do. And I need, I need to learn the each type of keyer and I need to learn each, you know, and I have to, and, I, and, I, and not only do I have to learn them, but I have to actually use them in every DI, right? Like, like sure. I, need to use, I need to use the curve tools in every scene. You know, I need to use, I need to key skin tones in the whole film, yeah. right? Because like the more work you do, the better you are, you know? Yeah. And that was my thought process. So I was, yeah, I was keying skin tones in every shot, <laughs> blah, blah, blah. Because I thought that was like, I thought the more you did, the better the more you, you know, just more is better. And, and so that was two, I was making two mistakes. One, I was focusing way too much on the technique and not on just having good taste and not as like we said, I was over seasoning, you know, uh, uh, to bring the first, the first analogy is like, I was just using every spice in the, in the spice rack, you know, like, yeah. Oh, I got to figure out how to use this and, and, and just totally over seasoning, the steak that was this like beautifully perfect cut of steak, you know, and like all it needs is butter, 
salt and pepper, <laughs> like, you know, but like I was overdoing it. And so, so that was my first mistake is like over-focusing on my own technique over, you know, what the film was actually telling me that it needed, you know? And then the other mistake that I made was I didn't focus on the relationships with the filmmaker and like really, and like, and again, it's building that trust and that kind of long-term relationship that as they grow and do better projects, you're growing and doing better projects along with them. But then also just that creative trust and that like, this is how we're going to do it. And like, and like you kind of grow through the years and become better collaborators and, and then you build that trust and then, and then maybe, maybe you can actually say, Hey, I think you did this wrong. Maybe do this differently. And then they don't take offense to that because of your relationship. And so I think that was the thing. And like, because our, our craft is so subjective, like it doesn't really matter if the DI that you do is like objectively good. It only matters if it's subjectively good in the eyes of the, of the filmmaker, you know, like if they're happy with it, then you did your job. If it's objectively great, but they're not happy with it, you didn't do your job. So it's almost like it doesn't matter. Like you can, you know, you can have your own taste, but like you really need to focus on the filmmaker, your client's happiness first. Like, are they happy with, not only are they happy with the final result, but are they happy with the process of getting to that final result? Because if it's a pain in the butt for them to get to that final result, they're not going to want to come back to you. And so it really is just focusing on that relationship, focusing on the, your clients, kind of the experience of, of, of that creative process and, and having that be your drive rather than just like, I know how to do DI, I'm going to do it my way. And then the clients are along for the ride. What the, man, so many good nuggets in there. I, I don't think I've ever met a colorist in the first, say, five years of their adventure who couldn't benefit from every single one of those things. Because that's the, uh, we, a lot of us come at things from that angle. We're like, yeah. most of us are going to be somewhat like both creatively and somewhat technically inclined. So we're going to be like very comfortable with like, I know what to do with this thing. And like, I know how to move these buttons around. And like, I also have like, probably a little bit of ego about like my aesthetic or my taste. And you, you kind of go around with the mistaken assumption that you're going to spray that on everything and that everyone will be so like enamored and thrilled with uh, the fact that you've graced them with your good taste. And uh, yeah, you're, you're kind of mislaying your, your priorities in the way you describe. That's so cool. And and being a colorist is really hard job. It's not an easy job, you know? And, um, uh, for all the reasons, you know, it's, 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 uh, the hours are hard and the, uh, create the creativity can be very difficult. Um, clients can be difficult. The learning, the technology is like a constant, it's a hard job. So you do have to have kind of an ego in order to, to, to even want to do it in the first place. That's fine. We all accept that. I think we all kind of acknowledge and give each other like a little bit of like, acceptance like yeah we're all kind of the same we're all kind of do we all kind of do believe that like our way is the right way and we've kind of accepted that so that's fine but you can't you really but you know thinking about your career in terms of decades not in just terms of like what am i doing now you know you really want to focus on those relationships and just focus on on being a person that a filmmaker can you they can trust you with their project it's not your project it's this 
it's their project. Yeah. Oh, that's so cool, man. Um, yeah, I mean, let, let's, let's dive in and, and get a little more like hands-on now to mm-hmm. what you actually do when you're working. So let's talk about look development for a minute. As we've already observed, like I, I was just flipping through some of your images before uh, we started speaking today. And there's a thread running through them that I'm going to talk about later because I, I have a, a theory that I want to run past you. But there's obviously such a wide range of like aesthetics and uh, a feel to all these different images. What is your approach to developing looks with filmmakers when you get into that process? Like in terms of like, how do you approach it? Like when you sit down at your uh, grading station, like what, how do you, how does that go for you? So I try to break up color correction into three, like, like it helps, it helps me to separate them into kind of three separate categories. So like look development or like building a show let would be one. And then just balancing would be a separate one. Um, balancing just being brighter, darker, warmer, cooler, really, you know, and then, and then depth, um, and texture, I guess you can consider those as like a combo and depth and texture is really like, doing your power windows and you're dodging and burning. And then texture, of course, being all of the tools that are, you know, grain to diffusion to all that kind of stuff. So like I, I, I kind of divide it into like those three things. I kind of don't overlap them. I only think about one at a time, you know? Um, And so look development or just like building a show lot, I think is, you know, huge. And I think it's even more huge now. I'm really encouraging all, all the cinematographers that I work with to come in and let's build a show let during prep, you know, cause like you and the director, you guys are talking about looks, you're figuring out how you're going to light stuff. You're figuring out what cameras are going to use, what lenses you're going to use. All of this is all very fluid and dynamic. And there's a lot of references being thrown around. The art director's throwing references around or the production designer. So come in during that time when things are still very fresh and let's build a show, a, you know, let's build a show let. And then I'll make that show let, I'll give it to your DAT and you'll shoot, you'll shoot with it. You'll have it on set. You'll shoot with it. It'll be there for dailies. And then when you come in for the DI, like our work is already done. Like all we have to do is like, just, you know, just track faces basically. And the DI is done. So like, Let's do that. And so that's my pitch to the cinematographers. And they're into it because like every single person has been in that experience in the DI where it's like, you know, the producers of the studio or whomever is like, they're really married to the dailies. And now we're trying to do this cool look in the DI, but like someone's like, yeah, but what was it before? They're like, "Mm, I like that better. And it's like really lame, right? Because it's just kind of the straight, K1S1 or whatever, you yeah, know? For sure. And so it's like, let's like, let's not even show them that. Like just show them like this look. And if we want to do, if we want to do like our kind of like split tone, silvery thing, like let's do that in the, you know, we'll do that and I'll do in, we'll do it in prep and then we'll do it on set. So, so that's kind of my first step is, is, is really encouraging more and more cinematographers to do it in prep and then the technology is it's good timing for the technology because the cameras can load 3d LUTs internally nowadays couldn't do that 10 years ago 
And HDR is making it even more crazy. It's even making it even harder to show up in the DI and want to do something, you know? So I, we're starting to talk about shooting with HDR monitors on set. We're not quite there yet, but, but in terms of your question, um, yeah, I mean, I, I, it's really just talking about references and like, um, you know, whether it's references or other films or whatever, or maybe it's a, maybe the reference is just another project that I had worked with that cinematographer, you know, on a previously. Um, I like to reference painting a lot because I think painting is more of just like an open, it's just wild and it could be anything, you know? So, um, you know, if, if, if you're going for like a Andrew Wyeth or something like that, like it's just, it's very evocative and you know exactly that look and it, it like just clocks into people's minor hopper or something, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like it just clocks right in and you don't have to, because also painting is a little disconnected from whatever the technology that existed when that thing, you know, like when that work was made. So like a lot of different photographers, like, well, they're ma really married to the photographic technology of, of, of their milieu. So, right. So, so like, painting is not as much so it can kind of be anything so so i like to reference painting a lot um in like a you know in like a pinterest board or something that we might do together but then i'll just throw around some looks i have like i have a bunch of content that i have put to the side that's just like a broad array of shooting conditions so it's either like stills from different films or like test material so like you know there's the standard like um person with a with the you know a chroma dumond next to them and a macbeth over here there's that standard stuff and then there's the standard like um six different people with different skin tone variation you know that but then there's also like um twilight shots some urban sodium vapor stuff some neon stuff some car headlight taillight stuff you know like those different environments that you're just like oh this looks pretty cool but the car taillights that like, breaks it shit you know yeah, like, for sure. <laughs> yeah. um these are or, or like there's like a concert with lasers and like the blood completely breaks and invert you know like so like i've got this wide variety and then i've also have synthetic stuff so i have some like some of like the aces uh, still life things where they have the different fruit on the table. And yeah. so it's nice to just, and then some other wide gamut, like, uh, blurry, um, synthetic stuff that you apply a lot to and you see exactly which color breaks and stuff like that, you know, basically rainbow gradients and stuff. So I'll, I'll build it. So like the DP doesn't even have to shoot something like they can just, we can just be talking and I'll throw some looks down and throw it all on this test material. We can build a look. So, you know, I did, I'm doing a show now where there's three distinct time periods and they all have a wide variance between looks. And so I'm like, okay, well, we'll do three different show lets, you know, for time period A, time period B, time period C. And just having this material, I can just quickly toggle between the three looks and the, the two DPs that I was working, it's a series. So the two D there had two DPs on it. They were just like, yeah, let's try this. And like, let's take this look and make it a little darker here. And let's take this look and make it a little brighter. And like, maybe this look will, will like, you know, subtract a, uh, uh, or no, we'll, we'll add a stop in the LUT. So then we print it down to protect For our sure. hat. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like sure. all, we're, we're kind of working all that out in pre-production, which is nice, you know? So, um, so that's kind of the process. I generally, I bring up the, the, the um, push pull um, because I generally, when I'm building a show lot, I try to keep 
80% gray at neutral, right? So I, when I'm building a show that I'm just trying to do fun, cool stuff with the colors and the hues kind of around the periphery and the ro- and the way the roll off works and the way the toe works. I try to keep at gray, middle gray exposure, neutral and at key. You know, I think that because that's a mistake when you start dabbling with like building show looks, a mistake people make right away is like a warm LUT and, you know, and then so great. So now you've got yeah. this warm LUT and then like now the cinematographer is like adding blue lights because they, because it's too yellow, you know, and then yeah. they're like, they're, and then they're like, it's, it's like now it's at like 9,000 Calvin in camera. You know what I mean? Like you start fucking up. Yeah, and they're um, and they're they're lighting a stop and a half under because that's where you happen to move mid grade. You just so happen to put the yeah. yeah. So it's like so it's like it's always very important when you're building a show let is to have a chart that has eighteen percent gray in it, and when you toggle that LUT between you know your look and the generic LUT, that like middle gray kind of lines up and and doesn't move its position. It's still you know because you want the you want the cinema you want to enable the cinematographer to be able to create warm and cool with the calvin in camera you know and with their lights you know you don't want to hard commit them to being this mega yellow look unless they ask you specifically to do that but typically they're not asking you that's kind of an exception you know typically they they want like a certain look and then they want to be able to like you know you use the tools of cinematography within that look. So that's something that I always try to do with, with show lights. Well, and it's, it sounds like you're, you're, you're making such a good point uh, in addition to, of course, like, yeah, let's develop the, the look and the, the thumbprint like before, you know, take start getting rolled and all that and get everyone bought in on like, that's what my film looks like, not K1S1, like you said. But yeah. it seems like, the, you know, the other really cool point you're making that I hadn't thought about is like, well, whatever we're going to do, whatever the look is going to be, it also should be like enhancing the cinematographer's ability to capture really like versatile yes. images, right? Like if it's a LUT that is causing them to capture something that's like a point and a half green and three quarters of a stop under and has a weird wash to it because of compensations they're making to counter the LUT, that's not that great of a bargain, right? They're baking it in. Yeah. And also like, you know, and, and sometimes you know, the filmmaker comes to you with like, I want a warm LUT and I want a cool LUT. And you're mm-hmm. like, okay, but what if you have like a morning, you yeah. know, like what if you have like pre-dawn morning, you know, what if you want to, in the warm world or the warm p- part of the story, what if you want to, you know, show a difference between like a night interior and a day interior, you know, or like, you know, you want to have like a sad scene with the warm, you know what I mean? Like, it's just, that hard, warm, hard, cool is like, it's really limiting you. I mean, it's, it's limiting you and maybe that could be good, but it is really limiting you. Like you can't really play around in that, you know, so like trying to figure out a way to, to, to create two distinct looks, but then be able to inside of that look to brighter, darker, warmer, cooler, you know, because like warm versus cool is just such a fundamental part of image creation you know? And so, and so like, it's, it's a net, it's a necessity at all times. And so to say, we're going to have, we're going to split our narrative into this, like it limits, you know, you want to be able to, you want to be able to split your narrative, but then play around within that narrative, you know, like it it just adds it another level. So I always try to be like, okay, well, instead of warm, what if it was like the, 
reds are more purple and the greens are more cyan and then the cool or instead of cool the reds are more purple and the greens are more cyan and instead of warm the reds are more orange and then the greens are more yellow you know what i mean like For what sure. if we just kind of like split it a little bit so that it we could still play around you know yeah it's it's almost the uh like color equivalent of saying like well, we're either going to be shooting at a two eight or like an eight, and we can't. We can never shoot five six. We can never shoot five six. Exactly. Yeah. Um, oh, that, those are such cool ideas about just kind of doing some hue sweetening to change the feeling of, but maybe not the overall Kelvin swing of the. Frame. Yeah, yeah, because like you, 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 like so, your warm is only going to be you know high noon and sunset. <laughs> You're yeah. never going to have a night scene. Yeah. You're twilight scene you know because like cool twilight like you, you, you can make a cool twilight that could be a challenge but like it's just gonna you know yeah you're, yeah. you're limiting yourself kind of already on the key cool okay let me ask you this question for this phase of the process or the other two that you described and i love that uh like very structured kind of delineation of like okay what are we focused on right now mm -hmm. what are your go-to tools are you are you in base light yeah i'm in base light so I, um, I use, I've been using different combinations for show, for building a Shola. I've been using a different combination of like the, the base light looks, you know, so they have like different looks in there. So like yeah. they have like, um, your classic film and then like a Japanese film. And then like, they have like the aces and the, and the airy and the red in there. Yep. So I've been mixing and matching those with other filmlets that I've gotten from different things from, from both uh, patches that we've done ourselves versus like other, like, you know, you just Google filmlet and you can find filmlets online and stuff like that. So like, just like mixing them, you know, find, you know, trying those out, experimenting with those. Um, some lots, some film looks I've even just built by hand, just like matching film, you know, just build it by hand with the tools. Um, so I've been mixing and matching like different film LUTs and different film looks with the different looks in f within like the film light kind of catalog. And then I, I almost always mix in a hue shift and a color crosstalk in a way, because mm -hmm. I feel like the color crosstalk is so good at just like dialing in it, you know, and the color crosstalk in base light is the equivalent of the, you maybe you correct me if I'm wrong. It's kind of the equivalent of the channel mixer or the RGB mixer in, in, in result. So, so like, you know, it's like really good with like fire. So like, say you've got like a campfire and you, in HDR, it's just like mega yellow. And so like the color cross is really great because you can put it in linear and then you can just like add a little bit more, you know, you can add or subtract red or add and subtract green to just get this nice orange color or whatever, you know what I mean? You can just kind of do that in the highlights and, it's great with skin tone, just taking like the, you know, the airy has like a lot of green in the skin tone, even if you're not using the K1S1. Um, so I just like add, you know, a little bit more pink into the skin tone and it's great. The channel mixer just does that so well because it's fluid and smooth and it's not um, kind of break. It doesn't kind of break the image the way that like a, a color curve or a hue shift does. So. Sure. Yeah. I mean, it, it sounds like you're, you're talking about uh, a really cool concept that I, I'm not sure exactly where it, it sort of like light bulbed in my brain personally, but you're really talking about with everything that we're discussing, you're talking about as much as like localized corrections and tunes and tweaks. You're talking about like really 
sculpting what we could call like a creative color gamut inside of your gamut. That's like, nope, when you go here, I'm actually going to very gently and broadly nudge you down there or push you over here just as kind of like a global set of behaviors as opposed to like, oh, I'm going to cut a like surgical slice into that section of the color wheel and try to yank it 20 yeah. degrees elsewhere. Yeah. I, I, um, so when I talk to cinematographers, I call about, I call it, um, creating our own stock. I'm like, let's create our own stock, you know? Yeah. And, uh, and so it's like, so it's like, yeah, you might want to pick, you know, cause like cinematographers, they, they don't, you know, Kodak had this certain behavior and it moved, you know, like Kodak did this to yellows and, you know, maybe Fuji did this to greens, you know, it's yes. like, and it, and like the stock didn't cut out or key those colors, right? It just, right. it just, the, 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 the shape uh, you know, that the cube, the shape of the cube just kind of had this, had this like irregularity to it. This kind of like, you know, had this like curve that as, as the color got brighter, it kind of slanted in this direction or whatever. Yeah. And so that's what I'm trying to create with these looks is like, you know, as a color gets brighter, maybe it, it, it becomes a little bit warmer as it gets cooler, you know, like green, for example, like with a normal digital LUT, K1S1 or whatever, greens as they get brighter they get brighter you know and like as they get more electric so i i'd like you know one of the luts that i created actually was the the one that went out with the dxl the light iron color LUT. you know as the green was dark it was green but as it got brighter it got a little yellower and then as it got really brighter it got kind of you know white and kind of bleached so it's like it, it just really helped make you those front lit grass and front lit trees just feel more like filmy i guess or cinematic-y um instead of did like hyper digital um so yes and i try always i really feel like um pulling a key or drawing a power window is should always be like the last like line of defense. Like, you know what I mean? Like, you know, don't get me wrong. Like I pulled plenty of power windows, you know, like girl, the dragon tattoo had, you know, 1 million power windows, but, but like, uh, I always feel like that's the last, like always solve the whatever issue in the macro, like always solve it, you know, with, with a, a matrix, or, or uh, some, you know, something like a curve or a matrix or whatever that's very global and, and, and try to maintain this kind of photographic integrity because you get this, because the whole goal is to create a, a world that feels like a real place. You know, it feels like a real world that just looks and behaves and everything. Light has a magical different cinematic quality, but it feels very real. It doesn't feel like someone got in there with a paintbrush and just started like, you know, slapping blue into the shadows and stuff and yellow, you know? Um, so it should feel very natural and very real. And so I, I avoid pulling a key and I, I have just as a general um, rule, avoid pulling a key and avoid putting a power window in um, uh, until it's absolutely necessary. And it's often necessary, you know, but like if a client's like, Oh, take that, you know, take that lamp down. I'm not going to, draw a power window around it or key a luma key i'm just gonna you know uh 
in the top end of my base gray, just go to highlights and just gonna, I'm just gonna roll off the highlights. So it's gonna roll off all of the highlights, not just the lamp, yes. but I'm accomplishing the note. You know, I'm accomplishing the note of taking the light down, but I'm, I'm changing the shape of all of the highlights in the scene. So it feels more connected and more unified. So that like, cause the last thing in the world that you want is, is for, um, on, is for an illuminated object to be brighter than the source of the illumination, right? <laughs> like the yes. last thing you want Problem. is like a person, a person sitting next to a lamp and their the highlight on their face <laughs> is brighter than the lamp. You know, like that's the last, or the sky, like it's an overcast sky. You see it all the time, overcast sky and the, the face is brighter than the sky. And it's like, the sky is the light source, you know? And so it's like, I get it. We want, we care about the face. Um, we don't care about the sky. We care about the face. We care about the subject. We care about the story. We care about the emotion. But like, there's a disconnection that's like implicit when it, the, the, the physics within the scene are corrupted in that way. You know what I mean? So it's like yeah. trying to maintain it in any, in any way possible. And what, it sounds like what you're saying is that those are the kind of things that while without your training and experience, we might not all as viewers like consciously notice, but we will feel, right? I think, yeah, I really do. I think you, I think you feel when you watch a show where like the grade is so nice and just feels so natural, like you're just in, it just, it just feels like, it just feels like a real world, like a real yeah. place. You know, you're just like, this is so like, just the color is just so natural and it's so smooth and it's just, it just, everything works and it just, and it works. And when you, when you do that global, maybe you want to, Maybe instead of, you know, I, I never key skin tones. I just, you know, I'll, I'll use a matrix or whatever to get the skin tones where I want to be relative to the color temperature of that, of that mm -hmm. scene, you know, but like, you know, you're, you're, you're skewing all your reds just a little bit more pink, you know, in the whole scene. And so it's like, you see it in the clothes, you see it in the, you know, if you keep the face and move the face over here, but the red shirt's still over here and that the blood and the, of the monster or whatever is, you know, like you, it's, you feel it, that it's all, you, you, you very subtly feel it, that it's starting to kind of like split and start and start becoming a little composite. -y. It has like a composite DI, DI quality to it. That's such a great point. I, I completely agree. And especially for, you know, the fact that culturally and for many of us who are specifically filmmakers and love movies, it's like the, all of the images are kicking around in our minds. So many of them are either direct from uh, the photochemical tradition or exactly, are, yeah. like, functional participants within that tradition, which don't work in the way that we're describing of like, oh, we tore that off and stuck it over there type thing. Everything is soft and sculpted and it's like a, a bed or something that you're making. Exactly, yeah. Lion. yeah. It's funny, like everything you're talking about right now actually reminds me of this trend that I feel like I've observed in cinematography over the last like 15, 20 years where we've really, or actually even longer maybe, but where we've, cinematographers seem to have really gone from this paradigm of lighting shots to lighting environments, like more yeah. and more, partially because I'm sure they're being asked to go faster and faster, but you see like environments being lit and then tuned and tailored to the needs of a shot much more than like, you know, if we go far enough back in time to like, you know, my favorite, like Hollywood close-ups from, you know, like, like right. the big sleep or something like that. You know, like that was a relight every single time we move on, we're redoing the whole stage, you know? Yeah. Um, and it just feels very similar, uh, that evolution to what you're describing with color where it's like, let's, let's like, you know, grade the show, not the shot type of thing. 
Yeah, I was having a conversation recently with a cinematographer where, you know, it was a television show, but it was like, a, it was a big budget television show. And they were, you know, um, DP was saying that, you know, the producers of that show were, you know, they were of a school of like, you shoot it and it's done, <laughs> you know, like uh -huh. it like in camera. And so like, you know, the, the, the cinematographer wanted to, he, it was a wide shot. So he wanted to kind of backlight the actors with, with this kind of like shot on a, you know, like a light on a boom or whatever. And yeah. he wanted to just like paint the boom out later. Cause he's like, I can get the backlight nice. And then we just, and then you just paint out the light, you know, but like, I, he, but he was telling me it was like it was such a big fight because like they didn't want to, they were like, this is nuts. You would, you would never, why are you shooting a shot with a light in the scene? Uh -huh. And he's like, because it looks good it looks on great. them yeah. and then you just paint it out. It's like not the most expensive visual effect in the world, you yeah. know? And it was just, it was just such a different school of thought of like, but like, no, you're supposed to shoot a show and you're like, your job is to have it be done in the can. And then he was like, no, that doesn't exist. That's not real. This is all fake. We're just, you know, um, yeah. which is a little bit different than preserving the cinema, what I'm talking about, which is kind of preserving that photographic integrity during the course of the DI, you know? Um, but it is interesting that it is just this kind of different like tradition. It's almost like, yeah, just like different schools or different traditions of like, this is the way it's done. Um, yeah. I always think it, it should, it, it is, um, there was a, a, another show I was working on recently where we were talking about lighting, yeah, lighting the room versus lighting the people, mm -hmm. you know? And, and I think for this show, they decided to light the people because mm -hmm. it was heavily dialogue driven and, and whatever. And, and like, yeah, you could have lit the space, but then you inevitably would have had like really bad, just the way, the way the, 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 way that that story was blocked and the way that that script was you would inevitably had someone like in the dark corner yeah, you know sure. and like and like if you're if you're being truthful to lighting the space you're just gonna have some really dark shots on some of your actors when they're when they're when you know if you have to use every corner of the room Right. You know, so if you have to use every corner of the room, you kind of can't light the space because then it's going to suck. So you have to, you yeah. know, you have to like, you have to, I mean, I think the best way to do anything is to establish these rules, pretty firm rules, but then judiciously break them in a meaningful way or, you know, break, you know, establish your rules, stick to your rules. But then when you do break them, it is meaningful. Um, I, I learned that from, from Fincher because he, he would be like, blacks are at 3%. Like every shot, every single shot needs to have at least a pixel at 3%. And every single shot needs to have, you know, the whites at, you know, 97 and a half percent, you know? And he's like, every single shot, boom, 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 you know? And like, that was dogmatic. I mean, like it was always going to be that, you know, and, and the skin tones were always here. And so, and he, he laid it all out. That's how he wanted. And then I went and they did that. But then there was the occasional time where he broke that rule, you know, and, but that was like the best part of the movie when he broke the rule, you know? So, so it's always like, um, have these rules stick to them. Um, and then when you break them, the, it, it actually creates an impact. That's so cool. 
Yeah, I mean, you 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 touched on uh, your your work with David Fincher, and I'd love to hear more about the the process on all those films. I'm sure each was unique, and I'm sure there's some overlaps. But I mean, why don't we talk about let, let's talk about the social network. The social network for me, like when I, I I have no window into your process or what you guys actually did, but when I look at it, it's one of the best examples to me of a film that just it just feels like things happening in a very like well-presented and non-distracting way, like I'm being guided so effortlessly to what is important and what's unimportant and everything feels coherent and organic. But I'm so curious because that's such a specific palette, like that contrast ratio and that like level of saturation, like the kind of overall bias RGB wise, like what was that process uh, specifically on the social network? How did you cultivate that, that feeling? Um, I remember talking to Jeff Cranworth, uh, a little bit before he shot it. And then also uh, as we were doing the DI and I don't remember how I, I asked him some question. I don't remember what it was, but you know, that was very early. That was, I mean, was a long time ago. It was, uh, that was the first red MX sensor ever like built, you know, wow. it was the red M at the time. And this was the first MX, which is like the real kind of version of the, of the, of the sensor. Right. Yeah. And so huge difference, massive difference in, in terms of noise and all that kind of stuff. Um, and so I, I don't remember what I, I asked Jeff a question. I don't remember what it was, but he, he's like, Oh, uh, I'm shooting the whole movie at 5,000 Calvin, like the whole movie, <laughs> like no matter what the scene is, <laughs> like it was at 5,000 Calvin. And I was like, you could do that. Like, what? Wow. like, and so like that's, and that's kind of the path. And I don't know the, what conversations he and David had before, obviously they had tons, but, sure. but, uh, but like, that's kind of where all of the exteriors have this really blue quality and all the interiors have this really warm quality. And then obviously shooting at 5,000 with a lot of these interiors, you know, you look at the raw footage, the raw footage, the whole frame is red, <laughs> you know, yeah. but because David, you know, has this like distinct version to red, you know, we pull it all out in the DI. So it's like, it's shot at, it's shot at 5,000 Calvin. But then in the DI, we pulled it all out and, and got into this kind of mix of kind of green, blue, brown. Um, and it just kind of comes alive. Like those interiors really came alive once we pulled sure. all that red out. Um, and then the same thing with the exteriors. They were already really blue because it was all shot at 5,000 Calvin. Um, so it was really interesting. It was really interesting and, and, and cool. Like just, I, I, I think that's like another example of this kind of like dogmatic practice where it's like, we're doing it all like this. You know, we're not optimizing every single shot and creating all, all of these different looks. It's like, it's going to all be at this and we're just going to shoot it all. And it's going to be and in like the randomness is purely environmental because our, because our process is so rigid. And then we can, that. we can, within that, we can then respond to that and then create something that's a little bit more interesting and a little bit more dynamic rather than try to shoot it all neutral, you know, and like, you know, which is like, you know, what most people do, but like, and rather than shooting it all neutral and then putting it all back together and then trying to make it uniform, it's like they started with this very uniform thing, let it get crazy and then pulled it all back. So, you know, I think that's, it's interesting because David has such control over the process that he can do that. Like he can, he can have like, like the dailies look great, but if the dailies didn't look great because of whatever rule he wanted to do, 
he, like, he can kind of, you know, like, it's not like a million people are going to be like, what are you doing? It's like, right. don't question his process. And so like, it, it, it's kind of, it's kind of like, he's so smart. He knows that he can always fix it and he knows what he can. And you know what I mean? So it, um, it is a little, it's a lot of that, but, um, but uh, yeah, it was, it was, it was an interesting process to, to, to work on that. And then, and then really just, yeah, fighting to, to kind of keep the red out. It was the main, I think in terms of the DI, that was my main job it was just to find red anywhere in the scene and just pull it in more into this brown, green, yellow, blue. I'm glad you went back to the red. I'm really curious in what this is, what, 20, 2009, 2010, you're doing the DI probably? Yeah, uh, 2009, yeah. In 2009, at the, I'm sure you used different tools in different moments, but what was your foundation for like, all right, next shot, or and maybe this is happening at more of a global level, but what is your foundational thing for like, all right, we know we got to get that red down into that more kind of earthy brown world. What's, what tool are you using to do that? Well, man, I mean, different tools than I would today. That's for sure. I mean, yeah. like, uh, you know, that it's a little bit of like a, a ship in a bottle or, or this kind of lost in the sands of time kind of workflow because it's like the very early digital cameras. Um, they didn't even, I mean, like this was before red log film, right? So like forget IPP2, right? Forget like log you're not, But you're not like in a gamma curve, are you? I'm in when red gamma four. Yeah, red gamma four was that. Wow. So you know what I mean? It's like display referred almost. Yeah, it's display. That was the thing. And I, I think that's, that's really what, I mean, that's what got me the job was, was I was handling the footage as it was, as if it was display referred, which it was. Mm-hmm. And, and grading it with that kind of a pipeline underneath it. And all, I think a lot of the other people competing for the DI were in this kind of film, there was kind of still in this kind of legacy film scan yeah, like sending out vibes. They're loading they're, what, they're, what they were doing. And we know this now. I think at the time, kind of people had no idea, right? Because scene referred, display referred was like only people in the, in the academy were talking about that right. at the time. Um, but, you know, they were just loading the files in as if they were film scans and putting a, a film print emulation load on top of it. And it just all went to shit, you know? Yeah. And so, and so us kind of working display referred and then inverting the, the final master into a film space to actually make the film print is kind of, was like the difference for us. So that is fascinating. And I, I, that, that's an extra kudos to you for the, the way you like sculpted that into sculpted those images. Cause that's, that sounds trickier than a, yeah. a more modern, as you said, like the way you might do it today. And you know, it's, it's this very, that, that time, you know, 2000 to 2011, let's say, you know, those like, those like 12 years or whatever, like, everything was so crazy. Like, you know, people were shooting on digital, you know, people were shooting on mini DV pal and like converting it. To, right. Like, and yeah. like there was like, remember advanced pull down and, and like pull oh, yeah. down and bear cam. And, and I mean, it was nuts. And like, and like, thank God, like raw, you know, red, you know, came out, you know, made, you know, made raw mainstream and then everyone else got on board and, and now we have raw files, you know, but but like at the time it was all, it was all, it was either you shot on film or it was display referred rec 7.9 output from the camera. 
you know, that was it. And so, um, and so red had red gamma four, which was just like a flat rec 709. Yeah. You know, it was really nothing. It was, you know, it, it was nothing. So, um, yeah, I, I'd, I'd love to go back and like remaster social network, you know, off the R3Ds and like, you know, cause you could with pulling it in as IPP two and you could now debayer it into the right. Into like it, and, and, yeah. And like true and just do it like a true linear, you know, seam or true linear seam referred DI make it HDR be amazing, but like, it'd be totally impossible because of the number of the effects and the number of, I mean, every shot is a, is a hard stabilization that was done out of after effects. So it's like, there's no way you could redo the DI in that film from the raw. I mean, you could, but it would just be cost prohibitive. It would be so many hours of work. Yeah. Wow. That is such a, a, a cool window. Yeah. It, it's funny. I guess I, I don't, I, I didn't start grading red until a little bit later. I kind of missed the, those glory days of like, Oh yeah. Well, here's yeah. your red gamma four. Have fun. Yeah. I mean like, yeah, like, so like I remember cause we did that DI on the red studio lot because uh, they were friends of ours and, and, and Jim had this big soundstage and, and he wanted people to come in, you know? So, so he, he set up a, a screen and, and we, and we brought in a Pablo into that studio and we did the DI in stage four over at Renmar and, and like, we'd be doing the DI with David and Jeff and like Jim would bring in like Robert Rodriguez and Peter Jackson and like, would just, it would be like a Mark Romantic, be like a revolving door of like, uh, celebrity directors, uh, that were like, what's this red camera? I'm hearing so much about it kind of thing. So, yeah. Yeah. It was really, it was really, it was really bizarre. I, I am curious, uh, to hear more about a, a comment you mentioned earlier about, uh, David Fincher's uh, affinity for really sculpting and shaping things geometrically. Like how is it, how does that compare to your, how is that unique compared to your typical approach? Like the how, how different is it? And like, what exactly is the like impulse that's being like, what's the itch that's being scratched by saying, no, we got to, we really are going to like window do go window heavy with this. Um, well, I think David has, it's kind of what, what I was saying before where he has such, um, um, a, a firm grip on, on everything that when he loosens it, it's really impactful. You know, yeah. whereas a lot of other filmmakers, um, they, it's not, that's not their style. A lot of other filmmakers, their style is to um, uh, be more naturalistic and, and, and allow randomness to happen and, and, and let things feel a little more looser. Like that's, you know, other directors have that style. Um, David doesn't, you know, and so yeah, a lot of symmetry, a lot of, um, deliberate, I think deliberate is a good, is a good way to describe it. Like every decision that he makes is very deliberate and there's always a reason. And when he moves the camera, he wants you to notice the, he doesn't want the movement of the camera to just be this thing that's happening, like disconnected from the narrative. Like it's completely connected with the narrative. And every time he moves the camera, like there's, there's intention there. Um, and that's his style. And, you know, and, and what's, what's remarkable about it is that, um, you know, the, um, he and Sion have always managed to like a budget 
the time and the schedule so that that can be done. You know what I mean? I think yeah. like if you try to do David's style with other films, post schedules, it's just not going to happen. Never going to work. You know? Right. Sure. So like they figure out a way to make the schedule work. And obviously everyone's working long hours anyway, you know, like it's still like we're all busting our butt on the yeah. show all the time, but like the amount of work that is able to get done, like there's money for it and there's time for it. Um, um, I mean, you know, still working long days, but still like, but still like you just couldn't do that with other film schedules because it's like, they're not intent on doing all that work there where he sure. is, you know, that's the difference. Sure. Yeah. It almost sounds like, you know, the typically when you think of like a really secondaries heavy grade, if you have the, the uh, sort of creative bearing that you shared with us earlier of Saying like no, I, 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 qualifiers and windows are, are sort of a last line of defense type thing. So when you think about a, a really secondary's heavy grade, the the more initial thought, at least for me, would be like, oh, so as a matter of like kind of tightening and unifying some stuff that may have been kind of far flung in the negative. But it sounds like in David's case, it's much more about like really perfecting the creative intent that was already exactly. iterated on the in the neg. Yeah, I I was on a show recently. Um, it was a different show. Uh, and the cinematographer uh, told me what he wanted, you know, and I was like, okay, cool. I'll do, I'll come up with a look and then, and then, you know, I'll have it applied. And then when you show up, it'll all be applied and we'll just run it down. And so we did that. I came up with a look, put it on, I balanced the show. And then kind of like in the afternoon, the DP came in and the DP was like, wow, like I thought we were going to end up doing way more power windows. You know, yeah. it's like, but your look, you know, like, it's just, you know, like if you find a nice contrast level, you get the black night, you get the highlights just right. You, you know, you figure out just the appropriate roll off where it's like you have detail, but then it's, you know, you have the, the nice, you know, highlight on the face, you, you, you know, you have the roll off just right in like simpatico with the lighting ratio that the DP had to light the actor in the first place, you know, and you have the blacks, if you have all your contrast dialed in nicely and your color nice i find you 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 end up doing less power windows than you think you know because the dp yeah. you know they watch the 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 rough cut that didn't have a show lot or anything that was just like kms one and they're like oh, i gotta bring these walls down i gotta bring this down i gotta bring this on and then when we sat and watched the playback they're like oh we you know this is fine this is great like, you know i just did like a little diffusion around the edges not even like a vignette just like a diffusion vignette you know and they're like oh this is so nice and so it's like if you get the good contrast and you get a good solid overall you don't have to do as many micro you don't have to do as many little power windows all over here now having said that when you're working with someone like david it's like getting the contrast is like, that's given. <laughs> yeah. And then he's like, now we're going to go in. Now we go to work. We're going to like, we're going to like take the floor down and we're going to take this little crack in the wall up and we're going to take this, you know? And so like the way David works is in terms of DI, it's, it's, it's so similar to the photographic part, uh, you know, like the photochemical dark room, dodge and burn. It's just dodge and burn, you know? So it's like, we're going to, we're going to dodge this out and let it, and then burn, you know? So it's just this, bright, you know, this spot brighter, this spot darker, this spot brighter, this spot darker. It's really just, you know, 20 of those in every shot and tracking them. But like, but it's just, just creating and, and really all that's doing, it's not fixing anything, but what it is doing is it's just creating this depth. It's creating 
is creating 3D on your 2D field and just getting that depth and just really bringing things down. And, and, it, and it's not just bringing the actor brighter and bringing the background darker. It's way more nuanced than that. It's like, at, at, you know, at, only in a way that he can do that, you know. It's right. masterful stuff, man. I mean, I feel like especially of the, the you know, like post-film uh, segment of uh, Fincher's career that uh, you did your grades for him in, like the the aesthetic like change that, that uh, he and Jeff have done on those movies. And like, I, I feel like that dodging and burning and like really refining process that you're talking about with geometry, that's what makes the kind of like slightly like less bold overall look like work it still it leaves you room to be like okay that matters and that doesn't which is usually it's kind of one of the first thing that goes when you don't have as strong of an overall look is like i'm not 100 percent sure where to look and maybe the whole frame is pleasing and i don't care but that's right. guiding the eye i feel like is that, that that's such a, a masterful uh job that you guys are doing there by figuring out like all right it's it's like not a big bold thing but we're also going to make it really easy for the viewer to like prioritize their gaze exactly yeah and it's and it's also about always creating a balance in the frame so kind of like what i said before where you know david wanted he wanted you know three percent black and 97 percent white in every shot you know so he wants full latitude and something else that i learned you know while working with him and jeff is like just not to touch saturation ever you know what i mean like just don't even touch it because you don't need to, because the, the, the color management should be landing, you know, like just the color management that's implicit in your system should land the saturation in a way that is close to human vision, you know, and then, and then it's all about warming and cool, you know, warm, cool. It's just all about balancing it and finding the right balance of, 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 you know, because when, when you're neutral, all of the colors are like coming forward equally, right? Right. But then it's like, so it's finding a balance, but then warming, cool, maybe a little green, maybe a little purple, you know, maybe a little cyan. It's like creating a neutral, but then having these skews, you know? So it's very subtle, but every color still in there, you know? So like you look at Gone Girl um, and, and like, and Jeff and I would talk about it where it's like, you know, social network had this very drastic, uh, strong, uh, swings in, in color. And then, um, relatively, uh, Gone Girl is very neutral relatively. And then like Dragon Tattoo somewhere in the middle. Right. So, but, but like you look at Gone Girl, every color is in every frame, uh, black, you know, full black, full white is in kind of in every frame. And then the, the film just kind of very subtly skews, between the cyan and the green and the yellow and the brown and it just kind of but all the colors are still there so even when it's brown there's still blue somewhere there's still green you know what i mean so it's like um and it is this kind of deliberate very subtle balance it's like extreme balance um yeah uh yeah i mean it's 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 a tough thing to to do but i you know i think that's the that's the intention what an awesome craft this is that i mean i just love, <laughs> I, I love hearing you talk about this stuff man like this is such oh, cool. a such a cool like part of of like you know like shepherding that like raw data from the sensor to the screen like it's just magic man yeah yeah
Um, I, I have a random question that occurred to me while you were talking about roll off. Okay. So I want to talk about roll off for a second. So let's okay. set aside the roll off that we need for color management. Like, okay, we got huge dynamic range. It's got to get smaller. We got to roll that off if we want to have any shot at preserving a feeling of dynamic range in the output. Okay. Like, let's set that aside and just to talk about creative roll off, which you've kind of like alluded to here and there. And it sounds like is an important tool in your toolkit, like what if, with whatever tool it is, like or with whatever mechanism inside of your uh, grading software, you're using roll off as a creative instrument regularly. Can you tell me, like, like what what's your feeling on like why is that important? What does that do for us? How do you decide whether you need more or less roll in the top or the bottom? Like, what's your process? Well, roll off is it will it happens. Uh, b both on the top and the bottom, you know, uh, I think maybe from an engineering perspective, you wouldn't consider a roll off happening from the bottom, you know, but I think creatively you almost always do right. Because mm -hmm. creatively you want to, uh, you know, uh, narrow the range and you want to soften, um, the image because that's where a lot of the feeling of sharpness comes in is the shadows it is like if there's a lot of contrast in the shadows the whole image feel i mean in the highlights too um uh but that's where a lot of the the sense of sharpness comes from so like so like if, if you if you kind of lift your toe but like kind of if you really cut compress which is roll off if you just kind of compress your shadows by kind of bringing down the mids and lifting the, the bottom end you're compressing that shadow you're creating that soft toe you're also compressing the noise you're compressing that noise so that that noise floor that's in all that's in you know that's in every shot that's just kind of raw with the sensor that's being compressed and, and pushed down so that you have like a cleaner softer toe um so that happens there but then in the highlights as well um Roll-off is interesting because we're not mastering for a single output device anymore, right? We used to do that. We used for like, for like 50 years, we only kind of output for, uh, for a film print. And that's like kind of the only thing anyone cared about for like over 50 years. And then even the beginning of like my career, when I started when digital was becoming new, we still only kind of cared about the film print or the rec 709 you know right. and then it's the rec 709 but now it's the rec 709 and the dcip3 and the thousand nit and maybe a four thousand nit and maybe probably a 600 and a 2000 you know if you're on this streaming platform yeah. and, but then oh by the way we also going to do 108 nit for this laser projector yeah. and yeah. you know for sure and so it's like yeah how do you have a conversation about roll off when you can't even when you when you, you don't even know what output device you're going to because you're going to because you're going to like a dozen output devices so your roll off is dynamic so like something i talk about a lot with cinematographers is you know we're in this mindset of of trying to um deliver you know create our delivery and create this creative product it, we're in this mindset that it's like precision marksmanship of like landing on this, you know, this, you know, we, we, we want the viewer to have this like one unique experience and that's the experience that we're having while we're mastering it, you know, and it's like, it, it feels like it's this precision laser strike, but it's not really what we're delivering is a bandwidth. You know, we're delivering 
a film that exists in a space that can go from you know 900 nits on an LG monitor to 108 nit on a laser projector to 100 nit on your iPhone to yeah. 38 nits in a theatrical you know a DCI projector to you know, less than that on a laptop you know, Chrome, you know, yeah. um, you know, so there's a very wide band that we're delivering to. And so like, I think the instinct is, okay, well, we'll, we'll pick one and we'll disc discard, you know, we'll just mentally discard those other devices and we'll just like pick one of it, which you can, I mean, I, I don't want to split the difference between all of that, but I think it's also like, let's come up with a look that works with all, with this wide, all those. Yeah. you know, let's come up with a look that doesn't, at least it doesn't feel like we're compromising, you know, cause like what you could do is just say, uh, you know, a uh, thousand nits is our master and we're just gonna hard clip everything above a thousand nits and yeah. that's our hundred nit master. It's like, yeah, you could do that, but that's dumb. Like just roll it <laughs> off. Like, yeah. like it's not that hard. You like you can just yeah you can just hard clip everything over a hundred, you know, for your sub hundred deliverables, and it's going to match perfectly with your thousand nit. But that's dumb. Roll it all off. How do you roll it off? Do you scale scale the whole range down? Do you just bend the top? Do you you know is it do you do you clip part of it and then roll off the you know it's, yeah like there's so many ways to do there's so many ways to take that square peg and squeeze it into the round hole, you know? Yeah. Um, I think creatively you want to come up with something that complements the way it's lit, you know? Um, and so if there's like really high key, high contrast ratios, you want to preserve that, you know, and, and, and you want to maintain more of the linearity of, you know, of, from, from, from middle gray up from, you know, from skin tone up, you want to maintain that linearity and maybe do a harder clip up top. If it's a higher key lighting, just so that you can preserve the detail, but maybe if it's a very low key, like it's kind of down in the shadows, it's a Gordon Willis type of look, then maybe you can, then you can have like, you can have more of that kind of broad, uh, curve to it and, and not have such a steep slope because that'll play better. Um, another thing to think about, which I alluded to before, is this idea of sharpness because when, because really sharpness is contra is contrast in a localized area. Yeah, right. Yeah. So, so when you're talking about roll off and you're talking about dynamic range, inevitably you have to also talk about sharpness because when you're dealing with these high levels and you're letting you're letting those speculars like go to a thousand you know are you letting your speculars you're mastering a thousand nits are you letting those like hard clip specular lights you know um the actual light bulb um right. filament are you letting those go to a thousand or are you subtly ro rolling them off at like 450 500 or are you like very hard rolling them off and then at 200 you know like like all of those are valid and all of those are grades you shouldn't discard any of those you know for anything other than you know what's going to work emotionally with this film you know but um 
but if you if you have that higher dynamic range and you're outputting at that high ratio you're going to have a more perceptual sharpness and so you might need to incorporate diffusion in with your roll off and so they kind of play they play against each other in that in that in that way oh cool that, that that's so much awesome stuff man i mean like um one of the things that uh that like makes me think about that i feel like just this broader concept we're having about like like what's all of the nonlinear stuff that we're going to do with the contrast curve between sensor and screen like something that i see consistently in the work of like the color aside meyer and i i i like you're firmly in this camp for me of like you're using that curve like in the broadest possible sense as a way of creating like among other things of creating like tonal separation as well so that it's like in the same way you've talked about creating color separation so that like these are here and that splash is there and they don't just bump into each other and blend and blur they kind of have their own lanes they're they're like driving in feels like like with contrast curve and like however heavy or light or straight and linear or like rolling and curvy you have them like that you're it's being used as a tool to be like all right we've got here's the shadows down here i'm going to pull some of you guys down so they're hanging out down here and here's the middle and here's the upper and they kind of have these like shelves they're sitting on yeah um yeah really cool stuff man i have uh what i hope is a hard but uh i i know is going to be a illuminating question for us so i i have this theory that like every like really really well mastered well graded image has this quality of like uh, I'll, I'll use a music analogy like i think about like like the rolling stones and like the, the or like you know any great rock and roll it's like it's not for example like the drumming it's not like the drumming is perfectly to a metronome perfect but it's what musicians call like in the pocket right it's just there it just feels right where it belongs at all times and probably if you were to graph it out it's probably speeding up and slowing down at different points but it just feels good mm. i can feel my heart beating with it you know like mm. i have this theory with like really well graded stuff that it's just like however it gets there whatever the genre whatever the look whatever the take it's like in that pocket it just feels right you know mm. so i'm going to ask you like that 30,000 foot view to the degree degree that you buy that theory how like give me like my my like prescription what are your like three principles or two principles or whatever for like because you you do that with your images like you always find a way to work with your collaborators and bring it right where it belongs and so that it feels like almost like nothing got done like how do we get images there what what are the high level concepts um well it's interesting uh i've there was this one time I was working with a cinematographer and we, we had done like 10 movies together and we're like, let's say, you know, we were going to film. We're like, okay, let's, you know, let's add green. Like we always do, you know, we'll add green. We'll do that same thing that we've done. And it's worked a hundred times. Let's like do it again. And this one time we put it on and we both looked at it and we're like, this is the same thing that we've done 10 times. And then we watched it in this movie and we're like, it's not working in this film for some reason. Like, like, I don't know what it is. It's like the film didn't want us to put grain on it. Like this, something about the story, something about the character, like 
I think it's, I mean, like the whole, the whole reason why we do film is to create, um, people say story. Uh, I actually don't think it's story because it's like, do you remember the plot of like any James Bond movie? You know, like, do you remember like uh -huh. the plot of like, uh, so many movies, you know, like, like, no, it's the emotion, you know what I mean? Like, it's this like feeling, you know, like the feeling of cool or the feeling of like scared or the, or the feeling of love, you know, like, it's the feet, it's the emotion that that brings us back and connects us with this with the film. You know, why we rewatch movies when we already know the story is because we want to feel that feeling again, you know. And so it's like really being in touch with the feeling that that you need to get out of watching the film, you know. Um I don't want to always go back to Fincher, but um when I was working on those movies, I would put on Nine Inch Nails because uh, I'm like, I, I got to get in that Reznor vibe, you know, because that's the vibe, you know? Yeah. And so, so like, I think that's important. And like, when we put that grain on, it just wasn't, it didn't feel right. We're just like, it's not, this is not the movie that has, that's a grainy movie. This isn't like a grainy 16 movie. This is like a clean Alexa mini movie. It just is, you know, like that's what it wants to be, you know? And so I, I think it's always about that, you know, just really trying to like connect on that emotional level and just be like, what do we need to do to get our audience to feel what we're trying to get them to feel and what, what, what's in our palette? What do we got? You know? And it's, and so it's not looking at our tools and being like, how do I use it? It's being like, this is where I need to go. How do I get there? And so I can get there anyway. And however we get there, we get there, but, um, it's trying to feel that feeling. And that's why I think it's important. Like what I was saying before, if I feel like we got it, we're going to, you know, it should be cool, but the director thinks it should be warm. And then the DP thinks it should be dark and the producer thinks it should be bright. It's like, okay, well, we all think different things, but what is it? Like what, you know, is it, we're all, we're all just trying to connect with this, you know, child in the scene that's lost or whatever it is, you know? So it's like, I, I think it's, I think that's just what it is. It's just like, why, you know, what do we want to get out? What do we want the audience to get out of it? And then what's our, in our tool set to, to, to get them there. And let's do it in a way that isn't, let's do it in a way that isn't going to over season it. And it is going to disconnect us from the material because it should be in the photography, you know, it should be there like already. And then we just need to bring that out in the way that, that it naturally wants to come out. I'm, I'm, I'm so pumped. Like as soon as we're done here, I've, I've got a grade to do and I'm so pumped to do it after this. <laughs> and this is so cool. I mean, like it, it really sounds like, you know, we've, we've had such an interesting conversation talking about like everything from, you know, the system you're working on now. And like, we all know that, uh, you know, you're the supervising colorist at one of the most technology forward, uh, you know, outfits in the world for what we do. But we were talking about, you know, 10 years ago. Yeah, Red Gamma 4 is what we had. And we had this creative intent. And we found a way to make that from with those available tools. I mean, it really sounds like one of your core themes is like to prioritize like cultivating that sensitivity that you're talking about, not not your take or your taste, but your sensitivity to the people around you and the images in front of you and like how, like what, what those things want and need. And then just being like a good, you know, sort of like, like, like shepherd to bring those things where they want to go. 
Yeah, I mean, I think if you're if you're really focused on that movie and what that movie needs, you know, that's how you can. That's how your style disappears. You know, um, like I don't know if it's actually Hitchcock, but like Hitchcock is attributed to saying like style is self plagiarism. You know. Um, if you just yeah. fall back on your normal style, you're like, oh, I know this works or like this grain. Oh, this is the grain that we always use. Or this is the, this is the film that I always use or whatever. Yeah. Like that's cool. Um, but it's like, okay, take that film that you always use because it's tried and true and, and it works. But then like, how do you change it to actually optimize it? You know, yeah. I think there is a challenge there because it's, it's so uh, uh, one of the things that I always say I like hammer it in my own mind so often is everything looks good until you see something better, you know? Cause it's like, it's so easy to, cause like DI, it's so easy to like make something look good. And you're like, Oh, this looks good. I'm yeah. done. It's just like put ACE, you just put the ACEs let on it. You take the contrast down by half and you're done. Right. There, yeah. But like, uh, but like, no, it's like, and, and that does look good, but then like, but to really challenge yourself to like actually try something better and like put a different LUT on it, just see what that looks like. Put up, you know, take the show LUT from like three movies ago and put that on there. What does that look like? Is it actually, is, is something there better? You know, it's like constantly challenging yourself to like, well, let's try something. This works. We're going to save it. Let's try something crazy. Like, oh, that crazy thing was a mistake, but something cool was happening in the blues. So let's see, maybe we can take that thing, that cool thing that was happening in the blues and this otherwise very large mistake that we just did. And let's incorporate that back into our first look that didn't have that, you know? And so it really does become, it's hard actually, because it's so, it's so easy to just say like, oh, it looks good. We're done. We're happy. You're happy. You're happy. Okay, we're done. You know, it's, that's easy to do, but to actually be like, okay, well, let's, it's just give me a minute. Let's try something stupid, you know, and see if that's yeah. fine. And then you do, and you're just like, ah, oh, shit. Now I got to go back and redo it. I got to everything. But but like sometimes that happens, and then you do it, and you're like, oh, it looks better. It does actually look better, you know. Um, I had very early in my career, I did a short with a, a a filmmaker, and we colored the whole thing, and he was happy, and he's like, this is great. And then like two days later, he calls me up and he's like, you know, it's my fault. I totally accept responsibility, but I just think we need to just do the opposite. <laughs> and I'm just like, huh, weird. You know, I, I'm like, I liked it. And then we went in and like, we did the opposite. And I'm just like, yeah, it's so much better. You know, like we went, we went in this like horror movie direction, but then we turned it around and went with like this love story right you know this rom-com direction but it was kind of a dark story but like the dark story just worked so much better with the rom-com look than it did with the horror movie look you know because it just yeah just made the darkness like just even like you weren't it wasn't telegraphing itself you know what i mean like you just like you you as the audience member you discovered the darkness under it on your own rather than letting the color tell you that this is about to be a really fucked up story, you know? So like, it just worked because we, because we gave the, the audience credit for being intelligent enough to figure it out on their own, you know? What and a cool discovery. Yeah. Well, I also feel like, I mean, that's, it's interesting that that took place early in, in your career because I feel like just that part of the process where, you know, regardless of, you know, like budget schedule, like all that stuff that your response was, okay, cool. Let's try it. That you had like the sort of like, you were able to step 
out from uh, whatever seven-year-old kid part of you was going like, what do you mean you don't like what I already did? (laughs) And like you went back in there and did it. And then you were able to once again sort of divorce yourself from your relationship to the material and go, well, damn, that actually looks better. Like I feel like that's a a skill or a muscle that uh, we all have to cultivate uh, in in this craft. Yeah, And, and to that director's credit, if he hadn't said, I take complete responsibility for this because I was in the room when you did it. Yeah. You know, if he hadn't said that, I might have, I probably would have been like a little defensive about it. If sure, it was it like, no, harder to hear. I, you know, like, because I just didn't, at the time, I just, you know, just being an arrogant, you know, 25 year old, you know, I was just like, I know how to, yeah, you know. I know things. Yeah, exactly. I know all the best colors. Yeah, if he had, but then, but then when I watched it, I'm just like, yeah, you're right. Like, thank God, Um, thank God he, he, thank God he came back and called us up and said, I take responsibility for it because, like, now it's so much better. What a great story. Yeah, I mean, I I remember in film school, uh, uh, one one of my uh, favorite teachers telling me like, one of the most potent questions you can ask at any phase of any creative endeavor is, what is the exact opposite of that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's almost always something interesting, maybe zany and, and non-tenable, but almost always something interesting in there. Yeah, exactly. Like it might not be the right answer, but maybe there's there's a piece of it. Yeah. You know, there's a piece of it that's interesting that you can like, okay, let's see if we can find a new thing that incorporates this. Yeah. Um, which is hard. Yeah. Well, man, I want to thank you so much for sharing your experience and your insights. Oh. There's so many nuggets hiding in there that I, I know I'm going to take in my back pocket with me to my uh, next grade. And uh, it's really been a pleasure chatting with you this afternoon, man. Awesome. Thank you very much. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, for sure. Well, take care. Happy grading. And uh, I'm sure we'll cross paths again.